Hey guys, I am Matt Powell of Matt Powell Music. I am the CEO of TGA Media, media company. Uh, I write music for a living. I perform music for a living. And you are listening to the Mountain Mover Podcast. This is the Mountain Movers Podcast, a platform for you, the ones with a voice to be heard, but no microphone to speak it. This is your time, your chance to become more than they believe you are, more than you believe you are. So let's do this together. Welcome back to the Mountain Movers Podcast. I'm sitting here with Matt Powell. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. I mean, we've been trying to make this happen for a little while now, and I'm glad we finally are able to sit down and just have this conversation. Yeah, for sure, man. Likewise. So just to kick things off, let's talk a bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Yeah, my name is uh, Matt Powell. I'm a, a singer-songwriter. I've been playing music for uh, the better part of 25 years. Um, so I, I write music, I compose music, I perform. Uh, I've also, as of late, really got into uh, marketing and uh, I, I really do enjoy it. So I also have launched a, a media company uh, this year as well. All right, let's let's rewind a bit. Have sure. you always Have you always been into music? Yeah, yeah. It's something that uh, my earliest memories that I have, uh, I already could play piano. Uh, so when I was uh, like a, a kid, like a baby, my grandma used to babysit me and she had a piano uh, right beside the television. So she'd always throw up, you know, Sesame Street and Barney and uh, Mr. Rogers for me to watch. But I would always walk away from the TV and go play the piano. So after a little while, I think she realized this, uh, it wasn't going to stop. So she started teaching me uh, about, you know, the different keys and the different notes and, um, like my earliest memories, uh, I already knew how to like differentiate between, you know, the eight different notes. So yeah, it's been a part of my life literally as long as I can remember. So did that come to you right away or was that something that you can consciously remember you working at day in and day out? Um, I, I definitely say I have, uh, I had a natural gift towards it. I think my grandma was kind of surprised how quickly I was picking it up and how easily I could differentiate the notes. Like uh, I remember Sesame Street was playing and the theme song was playing and I literally walked up to the piano and was able to, da, 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 da. I was able to find the different notes from the, from the theme song while it was playing. So I definitely have always had an ear for music. I think it, you know, it, it came crazy natural to me. Uh, I did have to develop it though. Uh, it wasn't something that I was always good at, especially as a singer or as a guitar player. I think my mind has always understood music really well. Um, but I did have to, you know, work on my craft and, and get better because I wasn't always a great singer. Uh, and I was definitely not a great guitar player for a very long time. All right. So you're a little kid, let's say five, six years old, and you have this crazy passion for music at such a young age. What did your outlets look like did you put on living room performances did you sing for your family at the dinner table what, what was yeah all all of it man anything that I could do when the family got together they always made me a little stage they always set up a little something I always was singing for the cousins and the aunts and the uncles I'd always be working on stuff and I'd have covers prepared where I would perform uh, my family was very supportive of it um, my, my mom put me in Know, guitar lessons and whatnot when I was I would say around six or seven years old and then like uh, high, um, elementary school talent shows uh, I joined a choir for a little while just so that I could practice more so yeah I was obsessed as a kid uh, any opportunity that I got to to play or to perform or to work on it I would take so yeah yeah definitely um, I was obsessed at, at a very young age so I, I think it's great to be able to find this type of passion at such a young age, especially an artistic outlet, just because we grow up uh, in school and uh, there are extracurriculars in, in the arts, but there aren't any kind of main 
this is what you're doing. You have to do this in the arts. And I think that's a beautiful thing. But I also think that a lot of people miss out on the opportunity to realize their artistic potential. And so what I really want to know is when you were little, when you were growing up, who were some of the influences, uh, whether that be an artist or just a, a human being in your life that really inspired you to keep pursuing music? Yeah, I would definitely say it was my mom, um, at least for, you know, my childhood years. Uh, when I got to, you know, more so my teens, I started to kind of find musical mentors and people that I wanted to shape my my art around and people I took a lot of inspiration from. But my mom was definitely the one to uh, push music and, and to push the growth of, of my music. And, um, you know, she really she was very supportive of it. That's one thing that I, I feel very lucky and, and kind of blessed that I had that was my mom was very supportive um, from the get go with my music. I think that's just a remarkable thing. When you have people in your corner, when you have people on your side willing to go the extra mile for you, it just makes it that much easier. For sure. For sure. When I got a little bit older, I started to pull influence from, from other artists. I can remember uh, as a teenager being really, really kind of obsessed and, and, and massive fans of um, the band The Strokes. I, I just thought that their music was incredible and, and very melodic and lots of harmonies for like a rock band never really heard um you know rock music be articulated like that and then on the other side was was John Mayer uh, some guy that was you know acoustic guitar player winning grammys for playing his guitar and singing uh hadn't seen too too much of that up until that point and that was exactly what I was doing so to watch somebody you know uh shaping their career around very similar to what I was doing at the time it was super inspiring for me. I was like, okay, other people are doing this. This is possible. It might be it might be really difficult, but there's a guy winning a Grammy right now with an acoustic guitar in his voice. So uh, that gave me a lot of inspiration and uh, belief that, you know, it's possible. It's possible even without um, all the equipment and all the uh, technology, right? I mean, it's you and your guitar, and I think your music specifically really encaptures that. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, also uh, there was a lot of other inspiration too, like watching watching what happened to Justin Bieber, for example. You know, people started to get discovered on the internet. That kind of is what started my love with marketing is um, before this, like before this exact period of time. As a musician, if you wanted to become successful, you had to go off to one of these major cities and, and compete and get signed to a label. That was kind of the the stereotypical way to launch your music career uh, in the early 2000s and the 90s. Uh, so before it was, you know, go to New York, go to Los Angeles, go to Nashville or London, England. And those were like your options. Uh, so for me, it was really cool to see, you know, the YouTube generation and the SoundCloud generation and then the Instagram generation. It was it it was really interesting to see that, like, I can do this and I can do it from where I'm at. I mean, travel is obviously important, um, but it's not necessary anymore. Um, and that, that's something that I found um, kind of amazing and, and motivated me to, to start working on, on my marketing. Absolutely. It's like, here are these platforms for free. You can have these free platforms and you can do whatever you want with them and use it to channel whatever your voice is right now. Yeah, and you can connect with people instantly. Like I, I, I always look at my analytics because you know, as someone that's into marketing, I love that stuff. Um, I have more fans, I think, in the U.S., Brazil, and the United Kingdom than I do in Canada. Um, so it's it's just really interesting to be in this stage right now where, you know, my music can be heard anywhere by anyone, and any given day I can you know make a fan or a friend in any country it's uh it's definitely a unique uh, opportunity right now for for anyone any entrepreneur musician content creator that you know our content is so accessible right now and that's something that i'm really kind of trying to soak up and 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 do the best i can with so before you pursued what had been what well, what is now a successful solo career you were in a band so tell us about that yeah, for sure. For sure. Actually, I was in a, a series of bands uh, from the age of 15 to 25. So I did 10 years of 
you know, being a singer in, in three different bands, more or less three different bands. Um, the first one started where I remember I was in high school and there was this, uh, there was this band. They were kind of a, an indie rock kind of punk band. They were doing a lot of like some 41 Green Day covers. And I remember they got up and they were playing um, Makes No Difference by Sum 41. And they were nailing it. So like the guitarists were perfectly in time. The drummer was perfectly in time. They just, they sounded great. And I remember just being in the crowd listening to them being like, wow, these guys are, are talented. And then the singer go, comes up and grabs the mic and starts singing. And I remember everyone in the crowd was kind of like, oh, <laughs> like, oh no. The music was so good, but the singer just, you know, he was off, off key, off pitch. He, he clearly didn't have, uh, you know, singing prowess, but the music itself was so good. Um, so I kind of willed myself into that band. I, I walked up right up to them after uh, they got off stage and was like, guys, you guys were amazing. That was incredible. Do you need a singer? Can I can I help in some way? Because I'm a vocalist. I've been doing this, you know, at the time for for like ten years. I think I could could help with the band. And they were like, Yeah, yeah, let's come to our next band practice. So uh, I go to the band practice. I sit down with these guys, and they they literally are just like, Sing something. They just put me on the spot. They were like, Sing something. And I remember I couldn't think of anything to sing. So I just started like, I just started singing Queen. I, mm. I started just singing We Are the Champions, <laughs> like acapella out of nowhere, just belting it. <laughs> and uh, I remember I was done and they all kind of were like, wow. Okay. Yeah, you're in. <laughs> and it was like, the most seamless kind of funny experience now that I look back at it. And what was really crazy about that experience and that band was um, we've hit immediate success. Like we, I don't know if it was just because we were so young and so naive. We were emailing battle of the bands. We were emailing music venues. We were emailing radio stations like we went crazy we we were trying to get big and we didn't really know what that meant but we were we were kind of collectively as a group all in we took it like a sports team we we practiced three times a week we started writing music at like the age of 15 we were composing like not only songs but like albums worth of songs and we actually got into like the Ottawa battle of the bands like a 15 person battle of the bands and if you won you got to go to some recording studio, Audio Valley, which is now Ottawa's most most famous studio, in my opinion. Um, and you got to go to the Provincial Battle of the Bands. So we roll up to the Battle of the Bands as um, a group of 16-year-olds, and we're literally competing against full-grown men. And I remember Rogers TV was there because they were following this band that was touring at the time. They were like a screamo band. And I remember everybody was telling us, like, oh, they're a shoe-in. Like, they're going to win. They're incredible. Best band here. Like, they have a huge following on my, what is it, MySpace? Yeah, MySpace. They had a, they had a massive following on MySpace because that was what was going on back when I was 16. And uh, we ended up playing the Battle of the Bands, and we win. And we came second, or they came second. And I remember people were booing someone threw a beer at us like we were like 16 year old kids and these like metal fans were so mad that we won we were playing like strokes covers we were playing our original music that we had written so all of a sudden we're we've now won the ottawa battle of the bands at 16 uh we're now going into a studio to record like our first single and then we're going into like the provincial battle of the bands and uh it just, you know, it was such a crazy experience to think that we just hit so much initial success. Like we were just pretty good right off of the bat. Um, and it was just kind of a wild experience. So what was it at that time? You know, you, you won the Battle of the Bands against all odds. What was it that really did set you apart from, say, any of the, any of the other bands that were there? Um, so our drummer lived right beside our high school, like quite literally, you could see his house from school. 
And as a band, you typically practice at the drummer's house because, you know, that's that's the hardest place to set up any of the gear. So we all committed to leaving all of our instruments at the drummer's house, all of our amps. We left all of our gear there. But we took it like a competitive sports team. We practiced three to four days a week from like 3.30 when we all got off to school to like sometimes 8 or 9 p.m. And I don't know how that guy's, Joel's parents um, were cool with this, but we played like 15 to 20 hours a week uh, for probably like a year straight. And we were really obsessed. And we, I guess we just had this great, support system around us but there was five of us so it's not like there was two or three of us that were getting together and um, being this dedicated it was all of us uh, as a collective so i think it was just how many hours we put in i think we were just outworking everybody at that time and it was a very um, big moment for me with like my growth as like a songwriter and as a singer um you know kind of just catapulted me forward where we weren't really 16 year old musicians at the time we were performing like we were, you know, in our twenties or maybe even thirties at the time. So you really did take it seriously. I mean, when it's something that you love this much, that's not a hard thing to do, but I think that especially at such a young age, when people might not take you the most seriously, uh, that's when you kind of clap back and, and show them that, you know what, I am the hardest worker in the room. I deserve this just as much as the 20, 30, 40 year olds in the room. And I remember there was this looming thing, which ended up being kind of the the destruction of the band. But um, some of the parents were like, well, this isn't sustainable, guys. Like, you guys are all going to have to go to college. You guys are all going to have to go to university. You can't make money playing music. And I remember from a, a handful of the parents in the band, that was a big overtone um that, that was put on us. I remember being told like, you can't do this. And that pushed, uh, I think my obsession even more was like, yes, we can. And yes, yes, we will. So I remember emailing every venue in, in the city. I remember emailing Zaphods, Mavericks, like anywhere that we could play being like, do you guys have shows? Like we, we want to play give us any day we'll play we'll show up and play on a monday night if we have to and i remember as 17 year olds probably about a year into to doing this after we had won the the battle of the bands we had a little bit of uh, notoriety at the time um we started playing venues where we legally weren't allowed to be there like we we played zaphods on a saturday night for like 300 people it was like at capacity we got paid like 1100 dollars uh, to headline the, the night. And then the minute we got off stage, we were like escorted out of the building because we were 17 years old. We weren't actually allowed to be there. So there was definitely this, this obsession to it where we were, we were doing everything we could to get the most out of, uh, to get the most out of it and to kind of prove to our parents that uh, this might be sustainable. This might be something that we're able to do. So you had a great run with this band and it sounds like you guys are doing all the right things. So what initial or what essentially came next? Yeah. Um, well, of course, uh, the thing that I was fighting against the whole time, which is we don't have to go to college or university. Um, unfortunately, the, the best part about my band was also the reason that we ended up splitting up was that they were exceptionally smart guys. They were very, very intelligent one of them right now is um, a robotics engineer. One of them is a psychiatrist that lives in Texas, and he got a full ride scholarship in the United States. Like these guys were, like the valedictorian of my high school uh, from my year was in the band. Um, so these guys were all academics, um, and I don't think it was something that they were going to put over music, uh, and and it was something that ultimately they they couldn't put over music. So. Uh, my passion as a musician and as a songwriter was was to do this full force. Obviously, you know, um, guys that had worked on their academics their their entire lives they they did prioritize that, and uh, there was no resentment or or bitterness for me in any way. You know, uh, as a as an eighteen nineteen year old kid, I I was somehow able to understand and and be empathetic and be like, yeah, okay, I get it, no worries. Um, 
and three of the five of us stayed together as a band. And then we kind of um, kept playing shows for another year or two, um, kind of as a, as a new band uh, with a new name. We went from being called From Day One uh, to The Witness. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite, a, quite an experience, uh, a crazy year, a five, I think almost five years of, of being in a rock band. And obviously, those are years you wouldn't trade for the world. No, no, definitely not. Um, especially because rock music kind of took a a downward keel after that too. So, uh, it was really sweet to kind of be in that last uh, that last period of rock and being in rock bands and playing these crazy rock concerts for hundreds of people. Um, I think you know it was really cool to to get all of that experience and to be part of that whole kind of indie rock surge. I think it was it was something I definitely would never trade. So would you say that the time you spent with your band and growing as a, a collective, would you say that that shaped your solo career and you as a solo artist today? Yeah, I mean, it taught me so many skills that uh, I I use to this day. Um, I wasn't just the the singer of the band. I was the main songwriter of the band as well. But more than that, I was the the our booking agent. I did all of the emails. I did all of the contact and all of the communication. So it taught me all of the skills that I use to this day, which is, uh, you know, just the professionalism of it, the the entrepreneurship of it, and the uh, the songwriting skills that I that I kind of molded over the time as well. So. Yeah, and now that looking back on it, it does kind of seem a little, um, you know, predetermined. It kind of feels like one of those like universal moments where I was supposed to go through this because I don't know how many 16 year olds uh, get to play in a band like for 20, 25 hours a week. Um, but yeah, it definitely groomed me to, to be able to do it all on my own when you're a solo artist you don't get to lean on four other people for support when you're feeling lazy the other guys are like come on man you got to practice today let's get going yeah when you're a solo artist it's it really is just you and and yourself so it was good to develop a lot of those skills and to uh you know to get that that five years of experience under my belt as well so talk to me about your solo career now talk to me about matt powell the singer songwriter yeah um Again, I, I've, I've always been called a, a lucky person, and I would agree with that. I, I think I've, I've always stumbled upon uh, great situations and, and good luck. Um, and I also believe that, that luck comes with, with hard work as well. I don't think that you have uh, luck without discipline and dedication. But uh, I got lucky as a solo artist as well. I met a great friend and uh, a great engineer. And uh, I wanted to record these songs that I had written. I'd started writing alone after uh, the band and me kind of split up and we went our own way. And I had a series of songs that I wanted to record, but financially at the time, you know, I was still uh, in my partying years. I was still going out with my friends and drinking and I didn't have a, a ton of money at the time, um, but I met a really cool engineer and, and we were talking and I basically was trying to record these songs with him. Um, and he really believed in, in me and the songs. Uh, his name's Chris Seibel. He's like a brother to me. I, I'm super grateful for everything that he, he did for me. Um, I basically went to his house, played him the songs that I was hoping to record. And he said, man, I, I really believe in what you're doing. I, I believe in the songs and in your talent. Uh, I'll record you for free. We'll put together a little mixtape. Um, you know, if it blows up, just give me a little percentage of, of the money and let's just do it to do it so my first demo uh was all done pro bono um by just someone that really believed in in me and my art which i think is you know when you again when you're talking about you know 30 40 50 hours on a project by a, a music engineer and them not asking for compensation it's just another kind of strange thing that that doesn't always happen uh, so i got really really lucky there and uh, we put that demo up on Apple Music, Spotify, iTunes, and it kind of started the whole um, the whole journey for me. I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm and I'm wondering. I'm like, as an artist, you find this passion so young, 
and it's sort of our job to continue this passion to let it grow and grow to where it is and and where it's grown for you today I'm sure you're able to kind of look back at the things you've done, the things you've seen, the people you've met, and you sort of reflect on that. You say to yourself, I am here now. And I hope, I really, really hope you give yourself a pat on the back for that because taking the time to really congratulate yourself from the outside in and the inside out, I think is just something really special that a lot of artists don't, don't really take the time to do. For sure. And it's really hard as an artist to to get to that point where you want to congratulate yourself. Um, I remember I, I've, you know, I've been doing this for, for such a long time now. I started when I was 15. So I've been at this for 15 years. Um, and I think maybe only in the last like year or two, I've been able to admit to myself like, yeah, like I'm I'm talented. I'm doing this like I'm, you know, I've I've climbed the mountain so to speak where i'm happy with where i'm at and where my skill set is at um and the things that i've accomplished um but it took like it took a lot for me to to get to that place i mean i i had been on tv several different times on several different stations i had written songs and released songs with sony and universal records um and then it, at that point i was able to be like okay I'm doing pretty good, mm. but, um, you know, it took a very, very long time for me to take a moment, sit back, look at everything that I've done and, and where I've, where I've gotten to and, and been able to just say like, all right, here we are. Like, you know, I, I've, I've made some massive leaps forward and that may just be the competitive side of me. I'm an extremely competitive person. I always want to get better. Even now I feel like there's, levels that that i can still get to and uh growth that i can still accomplish but yeah it can be a very hard thing as as an artist or an entrepreneur to to sit back and congratulate yourself i would definitely agree with that so let's start to talk a little bit about uh what sort of the process of your artistry looks like i think my first question in this side of things is what does a normal uh, you know, songwriting process look like to you? Yeah, for sure. Um, I've always written music in the same way. Um, obviously, I've changed things and I always look to improve things, but um, I'm a big believer with music that the feeling that the music itself gives you, forget the words and the melodies, but the feeling that the music brings is what the theme of the song should be set around. And even what the genre of the song should be set around. So the first thing that I do is I create a melody. Um, whether it's guitar, whether it's piano. Sometimes it could be a drum beat. But I start with the music first. Um, and then I kind of just reflect on what does this make me feel. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll think of um, a theme or a structure or a story uh, to match the feeling of the music. Um, so I've always gone music first, um, lyrics, theme second, and I take some time to reflect on the music and think, what is this song about? And I do my best to match words that will match the feeling of the song so that you get something kind of very complete and very something that you can feel. Because I think the best music that is the easiest to connect to you don't just listen to it, you you feel it, you, you experience it. Um, so that's always how I've written music is um, a theme that matches the musical uh, composition. I, I feel like that's just the best way to stay connected to your music. Because once you start writing what you can no longer feel, I feel like there's just a disconnect. And that's obviously going to translate to the people listening as well. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it, it's kind of a pro I, I would say it's a bit of a problem that we have in, in music right now is it's very rare to get music that really makes you feel something right now. Even the, the themes of a lot of the music that's out there right now, um, lyrically and, and th like thematically, it's not it's not as it once was. And I'm not saying that that's a, a bad thing. Um, but I find it harder to connect with music these days um, than I used to. 
And I think that it might just be a lack of um, a lack of storytelling. I think that music went from being big time storytelling to right now it's more about what's cool, what's trending, um, what lyrics can I say that's going to, you know, how many it words can I use in my song? Uh, so I, th- I definitely think music has shifted a little bit, but not completely. There's a lot of artists still that, that write very compelling emotional music. Um, but I, that's the one thing that I've noticed change in music over the last 15 years is a little bit less emotion, a little bit less storytelling, and it's become something a little bit more commercialized, I've found. So taking a step away from songwriting, the other side of things that I'm sure is a big piece of why you love this and love doing this is performing. So what is it about performing specifically that makes you so sure that this is what you are meant to do? Yeah. Uh, performing is, I would say is maybe my, my best skill that I have as far as it comes to music, maybe, maybe songwriting first, but um, connecting with an audience is a, a really crazy experience. Um, making a room laugh with a story uh, about a song before you play it or maybe after you play it. Um, you know, just connecting with an audience as a whole around my music, I think is probably the most fulfilling feeling that there is. And I think it's maybe the the hardest part of this pandemic right now is not being able to connect with, with listeners. Um, and having a a crowd of people sing your lyrics back to you and sing it with you is probably the most rewarding feeling I would say that, that I've ever had. It's, it's a true appreciation for what you're doing. And, you know, it's people taking time, not only out of their day or their night to spend some time with you, um, but also that taking the time previously to listen to your music and get to get to know the lyrics. And it's just this very harmonious moment where people are, there to support you you're there to entertain them and it's just this mutual um you know joy being shared by everybody in the room so there's no real way to explain you know the how performing makes me feel but i would say it's uh it's the most unique feeling that that i've ever experienced and it's something that the moment i started doing it uh i was unable to look back so i'm like this is this is my purpose here it's almost as if I mean I'm speaking from a dancer's perspective that being my artistic outlet over the the course of my life for sure but the energy that I put out as an artist as a dancer towards the audience that inevitably you know I can't see at all points because as I'm dancing uh I'm looking away from the audience but it's like the energy that I give out sort of radiates off the audience towards me and I feel like that's something that even if you're just sitting around you know at at the dining room table with your family with your friends singing a song that you know you've heard 10 20 30 times already that day that's the energy that makes it all worth it that's the energy that as an artist you know that you are making an impact somehow some way on these people around you for sure for sure. And I think the reinforcement from from people that there's appreciation for what you're doing and and, you know, the, your your efforts um, towards like your mastery is being appreciated um, when you have, uh, you know, sometimes I'll play really emotional, slower music. Like I, I, I wrote some very, you know, kind of slow, emotional songs and I do a couple of slow, emotional covers and having a room go from complete dead quiet where you could hear a pin drop to like roaring applause is such a crazy concept where the audience is giving you their utmost attention there's not a single person out of a hundred people talking Uh, and then the moment you stop there's a hundred people clapping and cheering it's such a crazy feeling as an artist and uh you know, it's, it's fuel, it's fuel to keep going and keep practicing and keep writing. Cause it's a, it's very unique. It's a very unique feeling. That's for sure. So I'm sure being a singer songwriter and having found this passion at such a young age came with a few bumps in the road. Could you take us through 
you know, any setbacks you felt as a solo artist when you were part of a band, just anything that could uh, potentially resonate with some of the listeners who are on their own, their own musical journey. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think um, motivation is hard to find initially. I think it's 10 times, a hundred times harder to sustain consistently. Um, so I think you have to be very careful when you're a creative or when you're an entrepreneur with what you're doing and the people that you're surrounding yourself with and, uh, you know, holding yourself accountable. There were many years where I was prioritizing going out and drinking with my friends or, um, trying to get promoted in my current job where I'm putting all of my energy into that versus, uh, my purpose or, or my passion. So I think there's only so much energy you have in a day. I, th I really do think of it like an hourglass with the sands, you know, coming out of it and you only have so much sand. So you really have to prioritize what you're doing. And a big, big shift for me in the last couple of years was, is this helping me? Is this pushing me in the right direction or is it pulling me away from it? And I would say the one struggle that I had in my career was I wasn't always tunnel visioned. I think back to 16 year old me and how obsessed I was because I truly was obsessed. Um, I, I tell people all of the time that like I peaked when I was 18. Like that was that was that was peak me. I only got back to that when I was like 28 or 29 um, because my motivation and that obsession was just at such a high level in such a high degree. So if you know what you want to do, if you know what your purpose is, I would say sacrifice where you can, when you can, um, and just go all in. Um, we use words like obsession, um, and OCD and that kind of stuff as like a negative term. But if you look at the most successful people in anything, there's a level of obsession there. Michael Jordan was obsessed. Tiger Woods was obsessed. Wayne Gretzky was obsessed. You know, it is okay to just fully dive into to what you want to do. And I do believe there's a level of, um, you know, work-life balance. But I, I also think there's something to be said to just putting your blinders on and, and running as fast as you can like a racehorse. So I would say that would be my biggest struggle. And that would be my my words of wisdom to anybody uh, starting their, their career or their pursuit. Oh, I love that, Matt. What's next for you? What aspirations do you have moving forward with music, with marketing, with yourself? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's such a weird thing when you accomplish your goals. Cause when I was an eight year old kid, I told my mom, I'm going to get signed to a record label. I'm going to, I'm going to get signed to a record label. I'm going to, I'm going to be a musician. That's what I'm going to do with my life. And, and then I, you accomplish it, and then there is a really this whole feeling of, what do I do now? Um, and I would say that's the last year or so of my life, maybe year or two of my life, is finding new goals, finding uh, ways to elevate and, and things to work towards. And that's kind of why I started my media company. Um, I've always loved helping people. Uh, there's so many artists that I think and creatives that I know that are incredibly talented. Um, but people don't really understand marketing or, or value marketing very much. So like the most talented musicians that I know, no one has ever heard of. Um, and some of the most talented people that I know, no one's ever heard of. Uh, and, and that's why I wanted to start my media companies. I want to take people that I genuinely believe in and I want to push their content and their music and their art out to people that otherwise would never listen to it. Uh, so that's was my inspiration from my media company. Although I, I music is always going to be my priority and my main passion. Now I think it's it's a mindset of just how far can I push this? How far can I grow my music? Um, you know, I, even you know, it's it's I don't take this stuff uh, too too seriously. But I had a goal that I wanted to get twenty five thousand followers on Instagram. I set that goal like a year and a half ago. I think when I hit ten k followers. I'm going to get 25 K followers. And I just did that like last week. Um, and now I'm like, okay, I want to get a hundred thousand followers. So I think for me, <laughs> for me now is just um, raising the bar. I think that's all that that's left for me to do. 
even another goal that I had was I want to get a million streams. I want to have a million streams on my music. Uh, and I accomplished that this year. So um, sometimes hitting your goals can be a challenging thing too, because it's like, what what is next? You have to really take some time to grab your your goals and set new goals, bigger goals that you can strive for in the long term. So I think that's where I'm at right now is just, you know, 10 times in my goals <laughs> so that I have something to strive towards over the next couple of years. I think that's a really good way to look at it. And I think, you know, art, being an artist aside, just being a human being, you're always in competition with yourself. You know, you're the hardest on yourself. You're your worst critic. You know, it's, it's just a reality because you see so much for yourself and you want to see, you want to see it happen for yourself. And so I think like the best way to look at it would be to not, to not be in constant competition with yourself, but to be in competition with the goals that you set. So you said, you know, timesing your goals by 10. I think that's a really, really good approach because you're still achieving something, but then you're going to see how much further you can actually push that. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing that I think I th I spend a lot of my time thinking about now is trying to wrap my head around how far can I push this? Like what, where do I think I can go? Cause I think you have to, you have to know where you're going to get there. There's that expression that if you give a man a boat uh, and you don't give him a map or a destination, he's just going to sail around in the water. You know, <laughs> I have no idea where he's going, but if you give him uh, a destination and a route of how to get there, you know, he's, he's far more likely to end up somewhere that, that he's trying to get to. So that's the way I, I think about business and the way I think about art is um, set the goal and then, and then just go tackle it. Absolutely. One thing I actually did want to touch upon as well was uh, just you being with a record label at all. What, what is that experience like and how did that even come to be? Yeah, uh, such a crazy experience about how it all started. And I think that's kind of the one uh, coincidence in my life in every stage of my music career is there's always been this one moment of luck or opportunity that just uh, arises. Uh, and I think it will continue to be the case. I think that my, I will continue to get these new experiences and opportunities and moments of discovery uh, from external forces, but I I spent I spent a year, maybe two years straight, where um, a good friend of mine at the time was a marketing major, and she was explaining to me how Instagram works. She said, if you post every Friday a fifteen second clip on Instagram and you use these thirty hashtags every Friday, you post a new clip, it's gonna grow. It has to grow, and people will start to come to expect on Friday to go and check your page and there'll be this regularity to it. So she encouraged me and, I, and she was hard on me when I didn't do it. She would message me and be like, where's your post? And on the next day I'd throw it up. But for about a year or two years, uh, every week I put up an Instagram clip, whether it was 15 seconds, one minute, whatever it was, I just posted music. Uh, and I went from, in one year, I went from like 200 followers, 300 followers, uh, I think, to like 2,500. And then the next year, I went from 2,500 to like eight or 9,000 followers. And in the second year, um, right as I was about to hit 10,000 followers, um, I did a clip of a song that I just wrote. Uh, and I did like a 30-second clip just of the hook, the chorus of the song, being like, what do you guys think of, of, this, of my new song? And that, that week I got an email being like, hi, this is Paolo from Universal Records. And we really liked your, your song that you posted on Instagram. We were wondering if you want to send us a demo because there's some people here at Universal that would like to produce this song. I remember just sitting back being like, this is a joke. Someone's messing with me. Like, like is the, I, was, I remember being like, which one of my friends did this? Like, who, who did this? Uh, I really did not believe it. Um, until I, I it got to the point where I'm on the phone with these people and uh, I'm like FaceTiming a guy that I don't know. And I'm like, okay, and I guess this is real. Um, but it was such a crazy experience for what it did as far as um, new eyes and ears on my music. Uh, I think my most successful song up until that point had around like 10,000 streams on it. 
that was like the that was the bar that I had hit at that point in time. Like ten thousand plays was like that was that was that was big time for me. Uh, and then I released my first single with um, Universal Records, and then I think it got like quarter of a million streams. Anyway, it got like a hundred and seventy-five thousand streams on Spotify, and then like almost a hundred thousand streams on Apple Music. So my like most successful release, like twenty-five time multiplied, and I went from like maybe a hundred thousand streams on my music collectively to like now I'm almost at half a million. Uh, and then I went from, you know, having my Instagram followers to like people all of a sudden are commenting on my music in Portuguese on Instagram and people are following me from Brazil because my song's getting radio play in Brazil. And uh, it was just such a crazy experience where I, f I did feel it right away. You can literally feel a shift where, you know, I have fans now. People are people that heard my music, liked it, and then came to find me on social media. So there was like a definitely a huge, huge impact that it immediately had. Um, you know, it's something I'm very, very grateful for and, and something that uh, I think very fondly of. And I think about a year later, Sony messaged me and they were like, we like what you did with Universal. You want to write a song for us? We got a producer we think you'd, you'd work well with. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So um, it just uh, it just kind of snowballed from from there, and then that song did like four hundred thousand streams. <laughs> it has like two hundred eighty thousand streams on Spotify, and then I think it has like a hundred some hundred hundred thousand some on Apple Music. So I think that song has like four hundred thousand streams. So like in in a two year period, I went from having like ten thousand as my top played song to like four hundred thousand in a in like a two-year window so yeah it had a, a monstrous effect um and even my attendance in my shows started to skyrocket it's funny how people will start to switch up when you have a song that gets four hundred thousand streams people that i would have never seen at my shows before i remember i went from like having like 30 to 50 people at my shows to like 100 people at my shows and i had to start using new music venues because the ones I was originally playing at, like capacity wouldn't hold the people that I, that I was bringing into my shows now. So yeah, it had an immediate impact. Uh, and yeah, very grateful, very grateful that I got to, that I'm in currently still in this experience. And I just feel like this is still just a part of the beginning of your journey. I mean, you never thought in a million years, you know, at, at age 18, age 19, that, you know, in your late 20s, you would find the kind of opportunities that have just come your way. And yeah. I think that you said snowballing, and I think that's the perfect, the perfect way to describe this. It's like, now that this is going on, it's just going to keep going on. And I, I can't wait to see what comes next, dude. There's a very strange, uh, I just have a very quick story, but there's a very strange moment that happened where me and my family were driving down to Florida. I was eight years old and uh, I had this lucid dream as a kid and I can still remember it to this day. I'm sitting, I'm standing on a stage and I'm, I walk out and I got a big smile on my face and it's like adult to me as a kid. And um, people are literally chanting my name, Matt, 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 Matt. And I'm like there to perform. And I woke up from the dream in like a sweat. My mom's like, what's wrong? Like, what's going on? Because I launched out of, the, out of the seat. And I was like, I'm going to be a musician. I said it right in that moment. I was like, I know what I want to do. I know what I have to do. It was, the, like, it was this crazy moment that I had when I was eight years old. And then the last show that I played before COVID, which, by the way, was a week before COVID really happened. So I played on March 6th was my last show. And by March 10th, every venue in city in the city was shut down and COVID like rolled out across the world, which was nuts. Uh, so I literally got to play at the last possible moment. But in at that show, I had just finished playing my last song and the crowd started to chant, Matt, 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 Matt. And it was the weirdest moment. And I, I couldn't help it. I turned my back to the crowd. I had a little single tear come out of my eye. I had to wipe it. And I was like, holy shit, I did it. <laughs> like, I literally manifested eight-year-old me's dream. 
so yeah, I mean, I think that this is still just the start. I think this is just the beginning. Luckily, with music, you can you can do it for for quite some time. So uh, I still think I got a a long way to go ahead of me, and I'm excited about that. I think that's just what I would call a full circle moment. You know, for sure, for sure. Uh, Wow. It was probably the most powerful moment I think that I've had in my life uh, up until now was just that. I think that, that meant more to me maybe than the the record label was just that that moment that I had because it was this very universal uh, moment for sure. All right. So just to wrap things up now, let's tackle the Mountain Minute. Are you ready for that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This, this, this is the Mountain Minute. Three, two, one favorite movie uh almost famous favorite food lasagna go to breakfast uh eggs benedict favorite song uh tiny dancer elton john where did you first hear this song my mom what is your guilty pleasure song dj's got us falling in love again by usher nice favorite day of the week friday Least favorite day of the week? Monday. Favorite color? Red. What time do you usually go to bed? 2.30 in the morning. What time do you usually wake up? 8.30 in the morning. If you could make any animal your pet, which animal would you choose? Uh, Lion. If you could change the stigma around one thing in the world, what would it be? Uh, division around uh, race and uh, culture. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? 1993 Michael Jordan. If you could have any superpower, what would you choose? Make any girl fall in love with me. (laughs) (laughs) No shame there. No shame. I'd call Madison Beer up right away. (laughs) I like the way you think. All right. uh, Sweet or salty? Uh, salty. Coffee or tea? Coffee. I'm drinking one right now. Same here. Rain or shine? Shine. Day or night? Night. Favorite number? Five. Where do you want to travel? Everywhere. Fill in the blank. This podcast is? Awesome. All right. That's a mountain minute. And hey, hey. Uh, Mountain Movers podcast episode. Thank you, Matt, so much for sitting down and uh, sharing your crazy, crazy passion and your story with us. Really appreciate it. No problem. Oh, and if I was to go anywhere, uh, singularly, it would be Japan. Hey, thank you for having me. This was a ton of fun. Asked some great questions and uh, had a great time. Thank you, man. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to yet another episode of the Mountain Movers podcast. Join our community on Instagram at Mountain Movers Pod. Rate and review us on all streaming platforms and let's grow the Mountain Movers community together. Until next time, keep climbing. Love always, Jake. Jake.